Good morning, everyone. I'm so glad you're here, whether you're here in the room or you're viewing somewhere online. Uh, it is good to be here, and we've been in a series for the last couple weeks, and it's called Labels. And what we're talking about ultimately is our identity in Christ, or for a follower of Jesus, what their identity is in Christ. And we're going to talk about that more today, but we're going to talk about that in a specific way that I think really needs to be addressed because many times people, I've heard this over my years in ministry, people will say, well, I just, I just don't know my identity. And what I found is this, and really I've been building up to this message for years, truthfully. What I found is this, many times people know what their identity is, but yet they haven't peeled away the old identity that they're clinging to. So what they're wanting is to have both identities. And most times the first identity is rooted actually out of somebody else's life and not God's life for them. I just gave you a lot. We're going to spend the rest of our time talking about that, kind of taking that apart. What I've said so far in this series, and I've started every one of the messages out with this commentary from 1 Thessalonians 4-7 from Eugene Peterson. And this is what he says, and ultimately this is just such a beautiful goal. This should be the goal for you. This should be the goal for your wife, your, your friendships. This should be the goal for your kids. Everything should really come down to this and understanding that God hasn't invited us into a disorderly, unkept life, but into something that's holy and beautiful. Into something that's holy and beautiful. That's the invitation of the gospel. Is that God can take your mess and he can take my mess and he can make it a beautiful message. And notice what he says. It's as beautiful on the inside as it is on the outside. So it's a person of integrity. It's that our, our beliefs and our thoughts and our words and our actions are all in alignment that's one of the beautiful promises of the gospel and when we know who we are and we're in our identity is rooted in Christ something from him and our relationship with him just flows through us and I, I want to share with you today the main passage it comes from Ephesians 2 8 9 and 10 and this is really one of the, my favorite passages in all of the Bible and specifically verse 10 I remember Years ago, whenever, um, I don't even think we were in kids, I don't think I was serving as a children's pastor at this point. I think it's when we were just working with kids. And I remember this particular passage, uh, verse 10, uh, it was something that, that we had taught and we were kind of instructing the kids on. And I remember it just being overwhelming to me because me coming to faith later in life, I didn't have all of these like just I didn't have all of these truths at an early age so as an adult I was like wowed constantly over and over and over by God's grace and what he showed me in his word and verse 10 is no exception verse 8 and 9 are beautiful too here we go this with the main passage this morning for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves it is a gift of God not by works so that no one can boast for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that or which God prepared in advance for us to do this is going to be the main passage and we're going to spend most of our time on verse 10 but uh, this is what we're going to talk about today and really what we've talked about really in this whole series is this idea of self-concept answering the question who am what's the next word I who am I? 
Uh, so self-concept. There's a great example of this, actually a struggle from years ago in a movie that some of you guys will be able to relate to probably more than the ladies. It was a movie called Fight Club. Now I'm going to break the first rule of Fight Club and I'm actually going to talk. I know, I know you're shaking your head. I'm like, I'm going to talk about Fight Club, which is the first rule about Fight Club. You don't talk about it. So uh, there you go. It's just a movie. But there's this amazing imagery really that shows up in that movie because the the main narrator or the 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 narrator of it a guy by the name of Edward Norton he and of course this is a movie version he's the the dominant character but also there's another character which is Edward Norton's alter ego and it, it is an alter ego and he's played by Brad Pitt you don't know this until the end of the movie and it's like this wow thing that it's a whole struggle that the two characters are actually within him but the reason why I tell you that is because the main character Edward Norton he doesn't like who he is He doesn't like who he is because he gets to the place in his life where he's dissatisfied because he's been told a story about what life is supposed to be like. And because his life is not meeting the stories that he's he's leaned into and what he's been told in the past, he creates this alter ego of the person that he ultimately wants to become. He has severe identity issues. This is a direct quote from the movie. It says, We are the middle children of history, man. No purpose or place. We have no great war or great depression. Our great war is a spiritual war. Our great depression is our lives. We've all been raised by television to believe that one day we will all be millionaires and, and movie gods and rock stars, but we won't, quote unquote. That the great war he talks about, he says, we've been, we've been sold a bill of goods. We've looked at what the world had on offer and it just simply didn't satisfy. The thing that we thought we were supposed to be clinging after and and longing after and that it was going to meet every one of our needs, our deepest needs, it just didn't didn't meet that expectation. I want you to know that it never will. It never will. So he points out that it's a spiritual battle. Of course, this is not a Christian movie. Uh, Some of you maybe didn't know that. It's certainly not a Christian movie, not a family movie even. But yet, it is, it's a great illustration of this struggle for identity. One of the most clear pictures of identity. Of somebody who, who was living a life that he's supposed to be living, but was dissatisfied because he was told something else. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I face the same battle. We look around and we survey the land, we survey our friends, we survey our families, we survey our friendships and we look around at what we think life should be and if we don't have the gospel informing our identity, we will start to believe that we can only be content if we have what somebody else has. Because we're basing our life on a comparison to what somebody else already has. We are indeed in the middle of a spiritual battle. I want to encourage you with this though. We're more flawed than we've imagined. You're, you're encouraged by that so far, aren't you? Like, wow, I just love the way he encourages me. Uh, we're more flawed than we have imagined, and yet we're more loved than we'd ever hoped. That's the encouragement. That right where you are, sure, we're, we're more flawed than what we've even imagined. I don't think that we could even grasp how flawed we truly are. I think we'd be so crippled with fear. And yet, in a, such an overwhelming way, we're more loved than what we've ever hoped. 
And again, in this series, we've been talking about this, this idea of self-concept, answer question, answering the question, who am I? And it, it's inevitable, if you start talking about self-concept, you're also going to bump against self-esteem. That's just one of the things we talk about. And self-esteem, I'm not going to be able to go and do a deep dive into all of that, but, but I, will, I, will say, I will say this in a way of connecting self-concept. Self-concept is an individual's overall perception of him or herself, while self-esteem is the individual's perception of his or her own worth. So, of course, they're connected. When we answer the question, who am I, and just the question of self-concept, the question of self-esteem is, what is my worth? And in this passage, we see our true worth because uh, what, what is it that the Apostle Paul said? He says, for it is grace that you have been saved. Now, those of us who are in Christ are saying, pay very close attention to this if you're in Christ and if you're not, because I think there's just, just such an amazing and overwhelming truth here if we simply lean into particularly the first two verses of this passage. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You see the problem, I love how Timothy Keller explained self-esteem. He says the problem with self-esteem is this, it's whether it is high or low, is that every single day we're in a courtroom. That's the challenge, isn't it? We're in a courtroom. We're in the courtroom of opinion. We're in the courtroom of perception. And also we're in the courtroom of management. This, it's always like waiting for the verdict. What, what did they say about me? Because uh, if we base our value in what somebody else says or thinks of us, then you face the highs and lows, which is what Keller is talking about. I want you to know that no matter where you are, we all start with a similar story. I want to get really practical, and, and I'm going to get right back to the theological truth, but I want to step out of that for a moment and talk about some sociological and also psychological benefits, because if we're going to talk about self-concept, you have to kind of wrestle with some things that are not necessarily intrinsically woven all through the Bible to give you clear definitions of things, but yet this all goes into our sin nature. You see, before we experience grace, we develop our self-concept through comparisons to other people. Before, which is the reason why we can't just tack on our identity with Christ. On top of the other identities that we've started to believe or to think or, or, or to kind of lean into because we've been living out a story ever since before you gave your life to Jesus, you've been living your life as comparison to somebody else. And the danger is this, you're either going to pick somebody who's way better than you in whatever given field, and if your self-worth and self-esteem is based off of how good somebody else is, you're going to see yourself as intrinsically what? Bad or inferior. Or the other side of it is if you think that you're killing it in a certain area, and if you compare what you're good at and you compare it to somebody else's lack or somebody else's weakness, then what's going to come up? pride so it's there's danger either way so we have to understand before we experience the grace the grace of the apostle paul just said to us and to the original church in ephesus in ephesians 2 8 9 we we have to understand we develop our self-concept through comparisons to other people 
And it's based off of the social comparisons, based off of superiority, inferiority, uh, similarity, or difference. But both are dangerous ways to develop self-concept. But we don't know any better. We don't know any better. Because of our sin nature, we don't know any better. We don't know grace until the grace has been given to us. Some of you, maybe even raised in church, some of you, if you're in the room or you're not in the room, some of you, you may know grace at a cognitive level, but you don't know it at a heart level. You've never experienced the grace of God, and yet you've been in church for decades. And yet somehow, some way, the truth of the gospel has not invaded your very being, and you've just rationalized grace, you've thought about grace, you maybe know a great definition of grace, and yet you have all of these things, but you haven't experienced at a heart level Therefore, your identity is still what it was before, but yet you can think that you're a follower of Jesus, but indeed you are not. Because it's not just, it's just changing your mind. The renewal of the mind happens after the change of the heart. And the change of the heart happens when the Holy Spirit of God steps into a believer's life and then you renew the mind to live in agreement with the heart. But some, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm passionate, but I'm not mad at you, okay? Do you know the difference? Please know the difference. I'm passionate, but I'm not mad at you. I'm not mad at anyone right now. But I want you to know that some of you have simply intellectualized everything about the Christian faith, and you are not a Christian at all. You've just, you've made it some intellectual journey and some dogma and some doctrine and you've studied some Greek and Hebrew words and you showed up to church a lot and you took really good notes, but you've never surrendered your whole heart to Christ. So if your heart has never been given to Christ, you're simply trying to renew your mind with the truth of God's word, but your heart is corrupt and it is deceitfully wicked above all things is what the word of God says. Yours and mine. And yet to experience the grace of God is to experience the overwhelming love of God of what the Apostle Paul talks about in verse 8 and 9. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no man can boast. So none of us can stand up proud of ourselves to say, I earned my way into heaven. Hallelujah. And again, I'm not mad at you. I'm pleading for your soul because some of you have simply settled for an intellectual faith, but that is a dead faith. As per the word of God taught in James 2, you can look for yourself. There's three different types of faith. One of those was an intellectual faith, and it's a dead faith. It's a faith that's not alive to Christ. It's that somehow you, you, you had your brain kind of tickled with, with some things that you liked and maybe you took really good notes or maybe even you put a, a verse on your social media feed and you gave this whole portrayal that you're a follower of Jesus but your heart is far from God. The gospel invades the heart and then we renew our mind to live in alignment with the change of heart after the Holy Spirit of God steps in. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Do you love him? Do you know that you're loved by him? Has there been a moment, a moment, 
that you that you made a choice that it was that was God you, you just maybe you don't have the words and all the spiritual words that I'm going to add to it but you felt like there was just this moment in time where you just committed your life to Jesus maybe you felt the weight of your sin and you asked him to take away your sin and you just you really come to terms with yourself or where you were and who God is and the glorious work of the, the finished work of the cross and just recognize wow Jesus is God and I didn't know it like I didn't know it then like I know it now has there ever been that moment has there ever been that moment where you have given your life to Jesus ladies and gentlemen we can be in church for our whole lives through we can be so convinced that we're in Christ and yet be so far from Christ if there has not been a moment where you have committed your life to Jesus I believe you need to get right with God today And don't do so because I say so. Do it because and only if the Holy Spirit of God is impressing upon you right now that maybe your heart is deceitfully wicked above all things and you have no way of escaping the wrath that's coming to you. That's why you should do it. And understanding that that for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever, right, that, that you are that whoever, will believe in him, shall, re- shall receive him, and also have eternal life. But that happens in, in moments like this, the, kind of the solemn moments where, where life kind of stops and God has your attention. I hope I don't have your attention. I hope God has your attention. And, and that you don't, that, that there's no way for you to wiggle out of whatever it is he's trying to convey to you today. You see, if we have our self-worth and our self-concept that's rooted in the gospel, then we don't have to do what we once did. We don't have to try and base our self-esteem and self-worth based off of some similarity or difference to somebody else or some inferiority or gaining some sort of position over someone else. And yet, all of us begin in this place. We all begin in this very tricky place of impression management. I want to say two things about impression management. Impression management is this. It's the effort to control or influence people's perceptions. It's It's the effort to control or influence people's perceptions. So it's presenting yourself in a certain way that you want to be seen. Here's the second thing I would say about that. Impression management is this. It's the behaviors used to project what you want others to think you are while protecting people from seeing the real you. That's impression management. That's impression management. This is the reason why within our youth, particularly when they go on social media and and somebody just gets mad at them and and, and it seems a little petty, but somebody gets mad at them and they automatically unfriend them or they just ghost them or they ignore them or or they deny them access to to being connected socially. And and you older adults, most of you don't even understand this, but that's really a plague with, with the younger students today because that really sinks into their heart because that is impression, that is a tool for impression management for them. And now all of a sudden, if somebody denies them the opportunity to present themselves, they don't know what to do. And if you've struggled with any of that, 
The goal is, is not to go to that person first. The, the goal is not to go back to social media first. The goal is not to go back to a friend. The goal should, the very first thing you should do is go to God and out of Him inform you of what your identity is and repent of the fact that you've been trying to base your, off, your identity off of somebody else's opinion. You see, we all deal with this, not even just through social media. Impression management, sometimes it's, it's the cars we drive or trucks we drive or the fact that we're a business owner or how much money we have in the bank or the clothes that we have on our back. There's so many ways that we try to impress other people and at the same time we're wanting to project some sort of image about us but we're also protecting the real us from them. And if you're in Christ, I want you to know this, you're part of the family of God. There's, there's nothing that you could do that's going to surprise somebody else. There's nothing that you've done that's going to surprise somebody else because all of us have had, had marred and ugly lives. It's just true. And yet the commonality of the believer is we were all broken. We were all right back where the Apostle Paul, he said we were. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. This is a gift of God, not by works so that no man can boast. We were all lost in needing Jesus. All of us. That's what a lot of things that the people don't understand. We have every we have something in common with every person who's walked the face of the earth. Sure, we can talk about all our differences, but the core similarity that we have, two of them, we're all made in the image of God, no matter who you are, ethnicity, race, whatever, gender, all of that. But the second thing is this we were all born fallen. We have a basis of empathy for every single person you and I can meet. But get this, Ephesians 6.12 is absolutely true. We're to go through and get to the end of Ephesians. The Apostle Paul, he talks about the battle that we're in. Again, it's a spiritual battle. Same battle that was hinted at through Fight Club. But this is what the Apostle Paul says through uh, the Word of God. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and 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 against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is the battle we face. Everything about your identity, everything about your self-esteem, everything about your self-concept, understand that it is going to be fought. It, well, for one, it was fought for at the cross of Christ. It was fought for. Your freedom from the bondage of sin, was fought for on the cross of Christ. We're going to see this in the next series as we, we talk about the arrest, the trial, and, and the crucifixion of Jesus, and then the resurrection of Jesus. We're going to talk about this, and we're going to look at it, and we're going to see the toil that Jesus, he toiled and he struggled with carrying the weight of our sins and doing so in such a meek way of just then going right to the cross, even enduring its shame of which he did not deserve, taking what we deserve and putting it upon himself. And we're going we're gonna to look at Jesus high and lifted up through the level and just the extent of his meekness over the last couple of days that he had on earth prior to his death. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no man can boast. For we 
are, we are in Christ, for we are God's workmanship. Perhaps your translation says masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, accepting Jesus' offer of salvation becomes the chisel that's marking out our gospel identity. That becomes the chisel. Chipping away at the things that are not of God so that the things of God can be beautifully displayed. Chipping away at us little by little. Although it may feel uncomfortable, it may seem a little odd at times, it may, seem, it may catch us off guard. It, it could be God chiseling through a word that's offered at community community group it could be God's God just sends a word through a trusted follower of Jesus who says this word to you and at first you want to bristle back but that's God's chisel that's God's chisel for you because he's carving out your identity to say hey there is something that is not of Christ that's on the outside that needs to be chipped away so that the beauty that is in Christ can be on perfect display for the world you see, God does this in a bunch of different ways, but what I've found in my life is most of the time He does it through trusted friends or trusted preaching or God's appointed leader over us who says something to us that God uses somebody else's words to be the chisel for us to change. So to deny gospel community is a denial of your necessity to continue to change. To deny participating in gospel community is denying that chisel an opportunity for you to change. There, there's a couple passages that I, I would like to draw to your attention. If you could go to the Write in your Bible into Titus 3. We're going to see how all this works in this one passage. And then, uh, and then perhaps I've got a couple other passages in Titus that we'll look at here in a minute. God's Word says it so much more eloquently than I do, so let's let God's Word inform us. Titus 3, 4 through 7 says this, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by His grace, declared not guilty of your sin, having been justified by His grace, that we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. So let's go through this a little bit more slowly. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Again, notice the similarity in language that the Apostle Paul also used in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. That He saved us not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. The washing, the washing of the Spirit of God. Whom He poured 
out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. God is still doing this today. He's still washing us with His Word. The Holy Spirit comes in a moment. The rebirth happens in a moment. It's the same rebirth that was talked about with Jesus having the conversation with the Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus in John 3. When Nicodemus thought he, he knew everything, he thought he, he, had ever, he, he thought he should have arrived, he should be there. And then Jesus says something that blew his mind. He says, you must be born again. And then he talks about being born of water and of spirit. Born of water, that's the the washing of the word, but also it's a natural birth. And then also the washing with the spirit. That you must be born again. The change happens on the inside and then it flows to the outside. The same thing that Eugene Peterson was talking about in his commentary on 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 that we began the message with today. Verse 10 of Ephesians 2 says this. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. For we are God's workmanship. The NIV, NASB, the ESV, KJV, all of those say workmanship. And if you're looking at the NLT, it's the one that actually says masterpiece. You see, your identity is not defined by how well you've mastered the pieces of your brokenness. Your identity is not defined by how well you have mastered the pieces of your brokenness. God is not fickle. God is not mean. God is direct. God is loving. God is merciful. God is graceful. So your identity is not defined by what you've done and how well you've handled your story and and how much you've pulled up your bootstraps to not be like your parents or that you're you're rising above somebody else at work who, who you're trying to compare your life to somebody else because they have that next position. Your identity is not defined by how well you've mastered the pieces of your brokenness, nor on how, how well you've tried to put your life together. God is not fickle. That is the word of the enemy who says that, not the word of God. The word of God says you are loving And you are loved more deeply than what you can even imagine. And yet, while you are more flawed than you ever thought, you are loved more than you'd ever hoped and dreamed. That's what God says over you. And that's what God says to you. You see, self-work does not equal self-worth. Self-work does not equal self-worth. 
That's another game that's being played out culturally. It's, it's everything self-help. Just get that latest self-help book and find this influencer and kind of, you know, that you can just kind of hack your way through life. Be a better husband, be a better wife, be a better, be a better son or daughter, be a better employee, be a better boss, be a better person. Be your best self. Self-work does not equal self-worth. Some of you, hopefully you feel very relieved by hearing that. Because some of you are very perfectionistic and you have started to believe and you have believed for a long time that your self-worth is based off of your self-work and that is a lie from Satan himself. Because you can't be good enough. You can't clean yourself up enough. You can't hide from others enough. And yet, what God wants to do is for you to live unveiled lives before other people so that He can send other people in to help to be that chisel to refine you because God has many instruments of change and one of those is the chisel of hard conversations, necessary conversations, loving conversations in the middle of gospel community. You don't need to protect anymore you don't have to project a false image anymore for you are God's masterpiece his workmanship his workmanship your value doesn't come from what you've done man I thank the Lord my identity doesn't come from what I've done because every time that my mind goes there The list of things that I've done wrong far outweighs the list of things that I've done right. And that's the beauty of confession. When we go to the Lord, we confess our sins before Him. We repent, walk in continual repentance. We step right back in fellowship with God. We we go through and we go to God's word every time that there's a condescending voice that says our identity is this or compare your life to that or manage this perception or manage, you know, manage your life to, to project and protect. Every time those things come up, we come back to the word of God. The, the, the word of God, we renew our mind with God's word to live in agreement with the heart change that's happened. And every time we do that, Ah, we breathe a sigh of graceful relief because confession is allowed, repentance is allowed, and God restates us in fellowship with Him. These in Ephesians two ten that the four words are summed up to in the word we get masterpiece or uh, workmanship, and it's the word poema. The Greek word, poema. It's the same word that's only used one other place in the Bible, and it's used in Romans one twenty. And this is what it says. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Those words have been clearly seen, poema. I have some images I want to show to you. The first one I want to share with you is the image of a sunset. We look at that, and that's that's beautiful, is it not? To me, I mean, I think that's beautiful. Sunsets are are gorgeous. I wasn't going to show you a picture of a of a sunrise because many of you haven't seen a sunrise in a long time. So, or at least you choose not to see sunrises. But 
Sunset is beautiful. Here's another picture of a river. Man, I'd love to be there right now. Here's another picture of something I think is beautiful. It's destructive and yet beautiful. Lightning. Powerful. You see, we, we look at all these things of which God created and, and we, we're in awe of those things. Those things are beautiful. Those things are, for the most part, inviting. And when it comes to those things, we, we, we can sit and admire those in such a wonderful way and there's nothing in us that is necessarily corrupted from being able to appreciate the beauty that we see when it comes to creation. However, as soon as you flip that over and now you start to see yourself, instead of seeing a sunset or see a river or see something in nature or see the power and beauty of lightning, instead of looking at those things, as soon as we start to maybe have the discussion to say, no, you are God's masterpiece, some part of you feels like that's not true. That's your sin nature. You see, when, when I showed you those other pictures, there, you just looked at those in total appreciation because nothing about your soul is necessarily connected to those images or what those images promote. Instead, when we talk about that you are God's poema, that you are God's masterpiece, that you are God's workmanship, there's a part of that that you just feel like I'm unworthy. That comes from your sin nature. Psalm 139, now let's talk about the most beautiful part of God's creation, that being you, that being you. Psalm 139, verse 13 says this, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. This would be a great thing if, if there's some part of you that feels like I'm unworthy or maybe if that's something that, you're, that Satan tries to wound and he tries to send those darts like I talked about last week and you, you have this unworthiness before God, what I would recommend is just allow the word of God, this word, to wash over you from Psalm 139, to just wash over you over and over and over again. And, and it's, it's a personal psalm, so... When the psalmist says, for you created my inmost being, it's saying something to God that you, that you accept from Him. And if you were to do that, you could take this and you could meditate on this word and allow that to offer a renewal of your mind to live in agreement with the change of heart. Your value is not in the quality of the poem you write for yourselves, poema. Your, your worth is found in the poet who's writing your life. It's not what you can do for yourself. It's not how well connected you can be. Again, we'll talk about that chisel. God is, is chipping away at the rocks of guilt and shame and insecurity to reveal to you that you are His amazing work of art. This is what God is up to in your life today. 
If you're in Christ, that's what God's word is saying to you today. That, his, he, that God is chipping away at the rocks, the rocks, the, the rocks, the things of your fallenness, and he's trying to chip those away to reveal you, to the, the best part of you, the, the God-centered part of you. And part of the rocks, to use the metaphor, is, is the rock of guilt and shame and insecurity to reveal to you that you are His amazing work of art. His workmanship. His poema. But we're in a battle. We're in a battle. This doesn't come easy. Of course, we need the Lord. We need to live in alignment with the renewal of our mind, to live in agreement with our, what's happened, happened in our heart. We need that. We need community. We need to, to have habits that help us to live in spiritual alignment with who it is that God wants us to be. We have to put boundaries in our life to, to where we, we avoid image management, perception management. We have to be aware and have times where we separate from the things of the world to do what you ladies who went to the ladies event yesterday did and just get out in nature and just slow down, pull away, push away from everything else to just kind of breathe and just kind of see what God would have for you, disconnecting from the burdens that we all go through day by day. I want to bring the message to a close with a couple thoughts. God's workmanship is not achieved by good works, but it will result in good works. But it will result in good works. And it's a good work of God chiseling away your fallenness, that God chiseling away your false identity, the false self. That's a good work. But also, when we talk about here at the church, we talk about our mission statement that we are making disciples for the glory of God and the good of the world. It's that good of the world part that God is also up to. Taking you and your identity and who you are in Christ. Now I'm going to connect with what we talked about in the last series when we talked about refocus. Now proving that we are worthy of the faith that God has given us and this is the the season that we're in right now now we take our gospel identity and saying god break my heart for the things that break your heart and give me the courage to step into it that's the good work that god has created in advance for you to do not for me to do god's created good things for you to do and of those is not just being this better christian of those things is to live changed and accept a change of heart. Accept that change of identity. Renew your mind with the Word of God. I want to end with two quotes. After I declare this to you and something that you need to embrace for yourself. I am God's poema. I am God's poema. Say that with me. I am God's poema. This time, let's say it with a little bit of conviction. I am God's poema.
which means that you are God's masterpiece, God's workmanship. Alan Arnold, he says it this way in a book called Chaos Can't. He says, before we can consider changing the chaos around us, God must transform the chaos within us. That's what God's trying to do. That's what God is doing by His grace. And back to Timothy Keller, he says this, the Christian gospel is that I'm so flawed that Jesus had to die for me, yet I'm so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. Wow. That's true. That's true. So we can summarize all of it and we'll finish with this. That I am more flawed than I have ever imagined. And yet I'm more loved than I've ever hoped. That's who you are. That's where you are. We don't need to hide. We don't need to manage. We just need to be. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you. And Father, your word is so good. And your word is not some therapeutic exercise that we just read these things and then try to do all these things ourselves. Because you're not cruel, and that would be cruel. And you're not fickle. You're not somebody who just loves today and then doesn't love tomorrow if we perform improperly. Yet you're loving and you're graceful and you're merciful. Lord Jesus, instruct us. Instruct our hearts. Help us to live with renewed minds, to live in agreement with the change of heart that you already have done. With the, rewa- the, the, the washing and the renewal that's come by way of the Spirit. Jesus, as we live our lives as your poema, Show us, please show us your good works that you've created in us, or that you've created in advance for us to do. Show us. Burden us so much so that we have to commit our lives to doing those good works. Good works never follow dead faith. So Jesus, we want a vibrant faith, a saving faith that results in good works. Amen. Earlier in the message when I was talking about committing your life to Jesus, and I want you to know this. I don't know how you came into this room. I don't know how you are, what what the situation is within your very soul. But I want you to know that God loves you. That He loved you more than what you could ever even imagine. And He loves you so much so that He sent His Son to die for you. And, you know, there's not something that's any worse in you that's worse in me or anyone else in this room. So if you've not committed your life to Jesus, I want to give you a moment to do so before we take the Lord's Supper. So we're going to go and we're going to pray again. 
And if you've not committed your life to Jesus, it, it, there's no like magic words that I can say. There's, there's no like, you know, super secret code that I'm going to say that if you say the exact same thing as me that you're going to be saved. It's not the way that salvation works. But I want to I help you and just encourage you to kind of walk if God is impressing upon you to, to take that step of faith, to commit your life to Jesus. I want to help you on that journey. So let's all bow our heads in prayer one more time. Father God, I pray for the, the man or woman or a girl who's here who does not know you and yet their sin is so heavy on their shoulders. And they, they have an awareness of their sin. They feel condemned. They feel guilty. They feel shameful. And yet because you're working through your spirit, there's also this glimmer of hope that if they just surrender to you, then their souls can be right, their lives can be right, and that they can live changed. That they can be your poema. That they can know and live out that good work that you've prepared in advance for them to do. So Jesus, for that man or woman, boy or girl who's listening today, and they don't have the words, let's help them. Father in heaven, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Jesus, I know that you died on the cross to take away my sins. I know there's nothing that, that I can do to save myself. I'm at rock bottom. If left alone, I'm, I'm helpless. So Jesus, I'm crying out to you. I'm submitting my life to you. I'm asking you to save me and I'm asking you to be my Lord. And Jesus, by doing this, I also commit the rest of my life to you. Amen. Amen.